Welcome back to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Today, I got to sit down with Kelly Oberly, and I was immediately struck by the things that we have in common. Kelly is a leadership development coach and founder of Access Human Potential, an emotional intelligence and performance enhancement organization working with corporations, schools, and athletes. Kelly and I both come from a background playing a collegiate sport that inspired us to help athletes with the mental side of the game. The work she is doing to develop the whole athlete and make system level changes is so valuable for coaches, parents, and teams alike. Listen and hear about all the ways she is helping people build upon their strengths and stay connected to the joy of the game. It's really about looking at what are my character strengths? Where are the areas of well-being, gratitude, kindness, perseverance that can help me move to that next step and, and build that resilience? And I think with athletes, mm -hmm. it's important that you can focus on what you're doing right as much as, as what you're not doing. In this episode, you will learn how positive psychology can benefit athletes, coaches, and parents, the importance of knowing your why, and how to prevent burnout and breed confidence in athletes. Welcome to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. I found your name through Instagram and I found it, I think through a Northwestern connection because you went to Northwestern and played softball there. Mm -hmm. And I had worked with their women's volleyball team in okay. 2020. So I somehow came across what you do and I really, really respect it and appreciate it. So how are you currently working with athletes or organizations on the mental mindset of performance? So I'm with organizations I'm working, basically I go in and I work with leadership and their teams. So we look at burnout, we look at performance, we look at things like, you know, is there engagement or is there a lot of turnover? Is there a lot of people calling out? And we design programs. I design programs basically around looking at how to put together strategies so that you're not always in the in an anxiety state. So in essence, we're doing trainings and coaching on the organizational side. On the athletic side, and that's really where I'm moving a lot more to, and part partly based on my background. But with athletics, uh, we are really like what I try to do is go in and work with teams both on beginning of the season, so helping them figure out who they are as a team and who they are as athletes, and giving them strategies that are around more than just being an athlete. It's about being a whole person and creating that self-awareness so that they're not just, it's not just performance-based um, because a lot of times, fortunately or unfortunately, athletes are judged on performance. That makes a lot of sense. I can relate to that a lot being also a college athlete and playing volleyball. It was very much my identity and I played two years and had to take an immediate medical release due to injuries and didn't play my last two years, but I did stay on and helped with recruiting to sustain my scholarship. So talk about sort of identity crash. I can really relate yeah. to that. What got you into this field? Where are you coming from? And moving into this field now is a shift for you, I believe. It is a shift to a point. So I, I came out of college and I went right into corporate. So I did, you know, work uh, with really companies like Toshiba, a lot of technology companies. So Toshiba, ConocoNolta, I worked in marketing and sales management. And so I really just ran teams around product launches and what I noticed was I would go in cycles of burnout. And so a lot of what I experienced as an athlete, I also experienced in corporate. And I also didn't really know who my identity was. And I think, you know, I, I played in college. Uh, my junior year, my father passed away. And so that shook a lot of things up. And I think I never really understood who I was as both an athlete and as someone in corporate. And so I spent a lot of time over the last few years looking at my own resilience and my own ability to really go after what I wanted, as opposed to just do what I was expected. And so right before COVID, I really made the decision that I was going to start my own company again, because I had done it 
a few years back and I actually did some high school coaching and I did some substitute teaching and I just was trying to find who I was. And then I ended up going back into corporate because nothing was sticking. And what I realized was that I didn't really have the strategies and tools to figure out what was really my purpose, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so as I was looking at these different things, I thought, hey, this would be kind of cool to, instead of just teaching the concepts of emotional intelligence or resilience um, or communication, is maybe teach people also how to access those things. So as opposed to, we all understand a concept, but we don't always understand how to execute that concept. Uh, and so that was one of the things that I really felt was missing for me for a long time. And once I kind of understood, you know, the importance of mindfulness and breath work and positive psychology, I was like, this could help more than just, you know, me finding my, my purpose. So that's how I kind of moved into it with athletes. It actually happened. I can't say it was my idea, but it happened. I was doing a, a program for managers at a junior college and an athletic director was part of that uh, program. And she had approached me after and said, Hey, have you thought about maybe doing this? I have a women's basketball team that I think would really benefit from something like that. And it was a natural flow because I love the corporate piece, but I really had missed working with athletes. And I feel like it's, it's, we work a lot with athletes around their performance and even, you know, visualization and mental performance for an outcome but we don't necessarily treat them as a whole person. And, and that's kind of just a little bit of the differentiator. So you naturally kind of found your place supporting athletes. And that came just through an experience that you had with an athletic director. And that's part of finding your purpose is that these things kind of land in your lap at the right time and put you in place and put you on a path. Have you found that since that day, it's just been an ongoing increase or an ongoing kind of effort for you and the athletes? Yeah, I found it, what's interesting is that I've always worked with, like I've, I still play a little bit and I, you know, I have kids, so I've been at all the levels, you know, especially the youth level. And so I've been involved with athletics, but now that I, I'm seeing it from a different lens, you know, I kind of, like, it's almost like you slap yourself in the head, like, Hey, why didn't I think about this a long time ago? Because as a, as a young athlete, I could have benefited from a lot of this. And I think that's where it continues to kind of just snowball a little bit of where, mm-hmm. Hey, I really enjoy this. I think it serves a purpose and it's nice to, to open up, you know, the, the kids to the possibilities and it's surprising how we don't really know a lot of this, even though I think in our, in our hearts, we do, it's never really been discussed. And, and, you know, unless you're, you have, you've been in a lot of therapy or you've had some kind of traumatic event that's pushed you to really face it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I have a question for you in terms of the positive psychology that you teach the founder or the originator of positive psychology is Martin Seligman. And I'm curious to know what you think his point of view has been since starting positive psychology and how it affects athletes now. Yeah. So he was, he really kind of pushed it in around 1998. Uh, He was the president of the American psychology association. And so it was just a shift from not just looking at what's wrong, but now looking at what is going right with people. And so with positive psychology, it's not positive thinking. Positive thinking can be part of it, you know, is changing your mindset, but it's really scientifically based, research-based, and it's trying to find what is what is your purpose, what allows you to bring happiness and, and joy to yourself. And so it helps, it helps you not only you know, kind of survive, but strive. Like that's what we kind of say is if you look at, at what is going right, that's really what positive psychology is about is trying to focus on the things that, that you can uh, affect and what's why it's important for athletics is I think a lot of times we focus on our corrections. So as an athlete, I mean, I'd ask you like, how many times were you told, you know, what you were doing right versus, you know, where you could make corrections. 
Mm-hmm. All, all the time. Yeah. Right. Of course. And so, and it's not that you change that because uh, negative emotions, negative feelings, those are a part of it. So it's not false positivity. It's really about looking at what are my character strengths? Where are the areas of well-being, gratitude, kindness, perseverance that can help me move to that next step and, and build that resilience? And I think with athletes, mm-hmm. it's important that you can focus on what you're doing right as much as, as what you're not doing. Awesome. Thank you for that. It reminds me of Angela Duckworth's work as well, which is about the grit and resiliency. And it talks a lot about how you have a talent, but you also have to have the persistence and the resiliency factors to make yourself a really successful athlete. And we can be really successful with our talents for years until it comes to the point where now our talent is marginally different than others because we're at a division one level or even a varsity level. And the competitive edge becomes the ability to overcome the mental stuff, which is positive psychology, looking at what is going well rather than what's not going well. And then how do I focus on that and leverage it to become more of a habit of mine? And that piece of it, I think is really powerful. So that being said, when you're sitting down with a group of athletes, what is your sort of basic 101 of positive psychology that you teach athletes and how can maybe a parent listening or an athlete listening practice that? So that's a great question and and also a great segue into it. So what I work with in athletes is first and foremost is understanding, having a self-awareness of what they feel and what they're trying to accomplish. And so as I think sometimes we look at, I want to be the best of this. And maybe as an athlete, it's just, I need to get to that next level. And so one of the things that we asked, you know, athletes is, is really talk about what, why you enjoy the sport, what you get out of it. And, and then where do you want to go? What is that next step that you want to take? Because, and I think for parents, you know, that's a good question because sometimes, and I'm a parent and, and I've also been parented by, as an athlete. And I think, you know, we get caught up in thinking what other people want us to achieve. And it's really important that we set our goals realistically and also what they feel for us. So, you know, maybe it's not making it to state, maybe it's not being a division one athlete, but maybe it's going to a school where I really enjoy playing. And so with athletes, that's, we try to first and foremost, help them with self-awareness and we work a lot with character strengths. So finding the character strengths that they naturally have, or they've built up and then using that as a growing scaling of, of growing what's already good in them rather than finding the one flaw that they have and trying to get that off the ground. You know, that's, that's kind of exhausting. It reminds me of, you know, you have two flowers in your garden or two vegetable plants as I'm gardening in my backyard (laughs) and one's, one's really surviving the soil. You know, my tomato plants are just doing excellent. And then my green peppers just have not succeeded after two seasons And the mindset of a lot of people is, well, my success is based on those green peppers. So I'm going to make those, those babies grow. And it becomes this challenge, which we love challenges as athletes. Yet we start to ignore our tomato plant. And then it's, it's the idea of, well, do we want to really leverage and advance one tomato plant and get the best tomatoes possible and feel satisfied and happy Or do we want a little bit of everything, but like feel kind of crappy because we've always been focusing on the green pepper plant. That's just not surviving. So it's, it's that sort of mentality of like, well, this is what to leverage. And I think parents hesitate because they think, oh, then they're ignoring something. They're not turning the stone over and looking at this. And isn't that a bad thing that they're ignoring this and I have my opinions on that, but I'm kind of curious from a positive psychology standpoint, why we are saying focus on the positive and not so much the negative. So one of the, the reasons that we want to try to focus more on what's going right and, and what is working is because that, that 
enhances what you're doing and you can't always fix everything. And so sometimes what people hear is just the negative. So if you can focus on the positive and you can grow that, that is, that is good enough. And that will create a, an optimistic future for your athletes and for your children. And again, it doesn't mean that there aren't certain things that you do need to improve on. It's just that if you can start with the positive, it creates this almost an emotional release that allows you to really focus on growth and doing, doing better. And I do a lot with character strengths. And so I'll have all of, whether it's an athlete or it's an organization, uh, do the, I use the VIA Institute there. It's a nonprofit Institute and they have a character strengths assessment for your top 24 character strengths. And so with athletes, we try to really work on the top five, their signature strengths, because research has shown that one, if you're using those signature strengths, you are tend to be happier and more satisfied. And also, I think we get caught up again in the performance piece of it. And we forget what else you bring to a team and what else you bring to a situation. And so as parents, again, if we can look at what our children are doing right or our athletes are doing right, I think it also can help momentum build so that they're not as afraid to challenge themselves in areas that maybe they're not as strong at. Yeah. So what you're talking a lot about is optimism versus pessimism, which is exactly. something we see in coaches all the time. We see coaches who are, who are on a spectrum, overly optimistic, moderately optimistic, low optimistic, yeah. highly pessimistic, moderately pessimistic, severely pessimistic, right? So if we talk about a whole continuum, we see this in coaches and what you're describing is a moderate level of optimism from a coach that is saying, Hey, you're really good at this, like encouraging them to harness this, because if they're good at say pitching in baseball and they, they have the confidence of pitching, then eventually they'll generalize that to the other flawed areas because they'll stick with it. Yep. But if you have a coach who says you're really bad at batting, so you're going to bat all day at practice until you get good at it, that kid's confidence is going to go down. And then they're not going to stick with baseball to even become a good pitcher. So it's this idea of focus on the positive, let the confidence gain, it'll generalize to everything else. And then as the child matures, they're more able to create their own optimistic view, because mm -hmm. I also have seen that research indicates that children are not naturally optimistic. They're not right. naturally, you know, giving to others they are very egocentric. Yes. So when we're talking about athletes, you know, in our world, we're talking about five-year-olds, six-year-olds at this point. So we're talking about very egocentric, pessimistic kids who only want good, happy things for themselves. And if it's hard, they want to quit. Yep. So to then have a parent come in and focus on what's not going well for them and trying to change them, it's obviously going to create more of a negativity towards the sport, towards athleticism, and you're either going to quit or you're going to burn out. Yep. So the, the point of positive psychology is really trying to create this optimism level from the athletic director down to the coach, down to the athlete, down to the parents, and really trying to get that as a whole system being affected and changed. How do you see systems being influenced once you are there for positive psychology? Where does the system start to shift when you are, after you leave? Where it shifts is, is where you start to build each other up and you start to create, I, I don't know if you would call them like people who evangelize positive psychology or positive thinking or optimism or confidence building. And so where the system changes is, is that you're more apt to admit when you're struggling, you're more apt to pick someone else up when they're struggling because your self-awareness creates an awareness of others. Like we always tell athletes, Hey, be your best friend. So how you treat your best friend is how you should treat yourself. And the things that you say to, to your best friend is how you should 
what you should be saying to yourself, because a lot of times there's a disconnect. And I think that's where the system starts to change. When an athletic director will talk to their coaches a little differently because they, they want their coaches to talk differently to their athletes. And when their athletes, their coaches will talk differently to their athletes. And it, it just, it kind of spirals into a more positive environment. It's not perfect, but you know, when you have a chance to stop and look and say, I can either, I can either tell this person that they're a terrible hitter and just focus on pitching. Cause that's the other thing that people will say is, Hey, don't, don't do this. Cause you're not a good hitter. And people will internalize that. And I think when you can start saying, Hey, let's focus on, Hey, you're a great pitcher. You know, what else do you want to do in the game? that's where the system starts to change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we go down to like the basics of what that really requires is that requires a belief system that good can happen, that there is hope within a system and that there's this common sense of quote love or human connection. So the athletic director has to have a positive regard to their coaches. The coaches have to have a positive regard for their athletes and where you see a disruption in that system is when there's not a positive regard anymore. Yep. And positive psychology can come in and say, hey, instead of focusing on what's not working in your system or on your team, let's focus on what is working on your system and your team. Yep. And that feels a lot better than it does focusing on the problems, which is typical in mental health or mental performances. Where's the problem? in baseball, who has the yips, how are you going to stop yep. <laughs> them rather than coming at it from a completely different angle and not talking about them at all and talking about everything else except that thing, I think is a big game changer. And you've mentioned like self-awareness. How does self-awareness fit into this idea of once we have positive psychology plus self-awareness, then the impact is major? How do those two marry? Well, so it's interesting because um, what you were talking about regarding, you know, that that whole cultural shift, I, I've spent a lot of time in corporate doing appreciative inquiry, which is a form of, I mean, it's a form of positive psychology, but it looks at what you're doing correctly, right, in simple terms. And so with teams, that's what we're trying to do also is to say, what is the best experience you've had? What's the best feeling you've had on the field? You know, especially when you're struggling, if you can go back to, you know, your self-talk is usually the things you're doing wrong, not the things you're doing right. And so when we can create that self-awareness with athletes and it's a positive self-awareness, so they, they start remembering what they do right. They start remembering why they're playing because, you know, I know for me, that was where I lost it for a long time is I didn't see the joy. Like I forgot, I got so caught up in, I had to get into a good school. I had to, you know, be able to play. If I didn't play, then that meant I wasn't, you know, I wasn't good enough. Like that, that was those, those things that were running through my mind. When you can shift that to a positive lens, and then you can have that self-awareness of what do I like about it? You know, maybe I'm just a practice player. Like I was working with my daughter and right now she wants to practice. She's a, cheer stunt person. And she doesn't right now want to perform because she's not comfortable enough yet. She's learning the sport and she's, you know, going to be 13. And, and it's like, that's okay. Like, it's okay to just go out there and practice. And I think that's where you view it from a positive lens. And I can't say that when I was in the heat of competition that I'd be like, what do you mean? You don't, you don't want to practice or you don't want to perform. Like, that's why we're practicing. But I think giving space for athletes to see what they really enjoy, and that's, we have to understand that first. And that's where self-awareness really comes into play. Yeah. Self-awareness as a parent and a coach to step back and say, well, what am I bringing to the table and what lens am I wearing that makes me want to change my kid or my, my player's efforts or, you know, decisions and stepping back and being like, oh, is that my own insecurity? Is that my own anxiety? Yeah. Is that my own like, I don't have time to step back and look at myself. So I'm just going to say whatever first thing that comes out of my mouth. I think a lot of people are so rushed and busy that they're not stepping back and looking at it from a better point of view and thinking, okay, what's my next best step? You know, that's always a question I ask people or I suggest to people is asking what's my next best step? Because 
of course you want your daughter flying, right? You think she's a great athlete. You want her mm-hmm. flying or whatever, but the next best step is making sure that she stays engaged in a healthy team because we know that keeps kids out of trouble. Yeah. So the next best step is, okay, let's go to practice. Let's talk to your coach. Let's see where this fits in. It's not what's your end result. It's what's your next best step. And now that we're talking about being parents, I, I'm six feet. My husband's six, eight. My seven-year-old is five, two and 110 pounds. And he's easily going to become seven, one. My husband's the shortest of multiple males and boys in his family up to seven feet tall. So it's a no brainer for us that he's going to be seven, seven, one. And I can say that because it's, it's just so likely that it's not even like me being a boastful parent and trying to brag about height or something. (laughs) Um, It's just science. So there's a lot of conversations at seven about what is he going to do with his height and can't wait to get him into the basketball camps and into high school and all these, all these things. And of course him and I are division one athletes. And so there's a lot of coaches out there that add up that on paper. And, you know, you can kind of say that the seven-year-old is going to have a lot of opportunities, you know, in college. So we almost, we almost, because of that, we almost take the reverse psychology of it, which is not overly investing in organized sports, not pushing him into anything other than you're moving your body today. You're exercising. I don't care if you don't like soccer. It's just your movement. It's not about being an excellent soccer player, but we're also really mindful of how much pressure he already has because he's asked about it on a daily basis about, Oh, you must play basketball. And for a seven-year-old, you know, what does that do? And, and so I think the mind says, my next best step is to support my son in art and music in academics and all these things, because I don't need to support him in basketball. Like right. that's the last place I need to be supporting him in. Yeah. And so my next best step is all of the arts because the result is, of course, I want him to play college ball, right? Like that's what I played. And I would love that for myself, but that's not, it's not about me. Right. Yeah. And because I have the awareness of knowing how competitive I am and how much I want to see that, yet I also can hold that and hold both, which is also supporting him in everything else that's not basketball, even though that is my sort of fantasy that I have right. as a parent. And I can admit that as a parent. And I think too many times people are so singular focused, like, yes, I want him you know, to be this person or no, he can choose whatever he wants to be. And I have no opinion. It's like, well, come on people. Like there's a middle ground here, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, you're a parent too, and you played a sport. So I'm sure you're really invested on some levels and that's just normal. Yeah. And I, you know, I, it's, I think that is a great example of where self-awareness is so important because it's not that it's self-denial. So it's not that you, you, I mean, there are things that you can look at and and we have dreams for our kids or, and sometimes those dreams are intermixed with what our dreams were or weren't. And so I think understanding kind of that why is really important. And, and I really like that, like what's your next best next step, because it does, that is all that matters right now is, is what you do next. And, you know, it's a really tough thing, I think, even for coaches, because, they have to have an awareness of why they're doing something. And so when, you know, when I was coaching my daughter at eight, I I was able to coach my daughter and my son. And, you know, I tried to be really conscious because of my own experiences that I just wanted them to have fun. And I wanted the kids that were playing to have fun. You get into a league though, and not everyone has that. And you get that competitive nature. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, hold on. Why am I doing this? And and it doesn't matter that we lost all the games. My ego took a hit because we lost all of our games, but the kids played again. And so isn't that what I'm trying to do is, is help them want to play. You know, my daughter stayed in it for three years when really that really wasn't her sport, but she was having fun and she enjoyed it. And it's, it's a part of who she is now. And so I think that, that self-awareness, it does, it doesn't always come easy but I would encourage 
you know, coaches, and that's, we try to encourage coaches and athletic directors and parents to really think about, Hey, why are you doing what you're doing? And -hmm. what do you really want out of this experience? And everyone at first might say, you know, I want my kid to get better, or I want him to win, or I want him this, or I want him that. But you can dig a little deeper to to understand. And as a coach, you have to look at your team. I mean, unless you're college recruiting or you're a pro team, a lot of times the kids you get are the kids you get, right? So you you have to adjust your style to what you've got. And so that self-awareness, I think, is really critical. And, And it fosters that for kids. Throughout my 10 years as a therapist, I've learned a thing or two about growth. I've had the honor of supporting clients and becoming more resilient people, overcoming obstacles, and achieving their goals. What I've learned through this process is that there are five essential steps in every growth journey. With the goal of making personal growth accessible to all, I use these steps to create a planner series so that anyone can work on their growth anytime and anywhere. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. Personal growth isn't a quick process, but this series is designed to make it easy and fun. Learn more at www.simplybecounseling.net slash planners. And be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a Well Not Perfect listener, you can get 10% off on any order using code WELLNOTPERFECT. There's no better day than today to tap into your own growth and resiliency. It's really interesting because when we work with athletes, what we see is that the athletes are over-controlled and they're really over-regulated in their emotions and over-regulated in their physical movement and they're not spontaneous and loose. And then we have the parents who are opposite. The parents are too spontaneous. They're too impulsive. They're too loose. They're not regulating and restricting themselves back from hollering or saying something. So it's interesting that we find completely opposite kind Mm -hmm. of personalities where the athlete is extremely anxious and very tight. And then the parent is extremely anxious and very extroverted. And so we, we do two different approaches with the athletes and the parents because we have found that they are just different beasts and you put those two people in the car after a game together and it's just like right it's either dead silence or it's like fireworks and so you have these two opposite structures just by the nature of the sport and we try to create that middle ground which is how to encourage lightness in your athlete and encourage spontaneity and flexibility and joy with your athlete through the energy that you're bringing in, but not the energy that is punitive or that is conditional, right? The the worst I've seen is conditional love, which is a parent only providing love to a child if they've won or done well and being cold or silent when they haven't done well. And no parent will admit that they do that, but we see it oftentimes in our office because the athlete is calling them out on that. And it's not pretty to look at as a parent and it's easy to ignore it and be in denial. And it's really hard to have self-awareness and be like, wow, I am doing that. And that's really hurting my child. And now they're in counseling for this. So we, we see the awareness, not just on the athlete side or coach side, but parents, you know, come on, you need to put a mirror up to yourself and really get honest because it's where it starts, you know, parent child attachment, you know, attachment theory with Bowlby is part of positive psychology's foundation, which is Mm -hmm. if you don't have a positive attachment to your child, you can't do positive psychology. There's no, there's no optimism in the relationship. It's very strained and anxious. So positive psychology is a third or fourth wave, but really it comes out of Bowlby's stuff, which is, you know, ancient and one of the OGs of psychology. So no, and, and you're exactly right. And that's, it's interesting because intention doesn't always breed like what the result is. Right. And so, you know, and I don't work as much with parents because we work with teams more. We're moving, like I'm moving down into high school and I'd like to have more parent involvement because I think it's before they end up in your office, right? Like that's the goal is to, to be able to foster this type of 
awareness and communication so that, you know, kids aren't in an anxious state all the time. And so, you know, that, that that's not the, the sole purpose for them ending up in crisis, right? One of the things that that's important is, is that our intention as parents, our intentions as coaches could be very good, but our delivery method or the things we're doing are are not not matching what our intention is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, that attachment theory. And it's also the self-awareness of, you know, my intention is not to, I'm sure you get people in your office where they're like, my intention is not to beat my kid down, right? It's, you know, I just feel like if they're not doing well, I shouldn't talk to them. But mm-hmm. as a child, you look at it and you're like, they don't care, or I didn't right. perform. Um, right. So, so that I think is, is really important. And, yeah. But what yeah. you just shared there, I mean, that's a level of self-awareness that would be even a good crack in the door because the, the awareness of that is like, oh, I didn't know I did that. I Meaning, I'm open. I'm aware right. enough to know that I might have a flaw. You know, there's the parents who say, I don't do that. Right. An immediate, yeah. or, you know, I, when I was a coach or when I was a player, this is how I did it. And that's the worst response because that's a 30 year old technique and a 30 year old skill that is very outdated. And yeah. so that response is not valid. And, you know, we very kind of matter of factly say, and how's that working for you? Yeah. And just yeah. being that irreverent, you know, is that, is that mentality working for you? And did you have feelings about that when you were a kid? Oh, we didn't, you know, we didn't think about feelings or we didn't talk about feelings and how's that working for you? You know, and just, I call arrow down, you know, you just keep arrowing down and just challenging people until they kind of discover why they themselves need to change. Cause you just, you just keep asking, you know, some point you've landed in my office at some point you have been here or someone has asked you to come see me. An athletic director has asked you to come see me. So something's not working and, and, you know, and if, and then it gets to a point sometimes where, you know, they'll, you know, really be adamant that it's right. And you say, you know, obviously our work is done here and that may be the end. Typically it's not, but there's a lot of times where I had a psychologist, Dr. Patrick McGrath on recently, and he said this, I thought it was really powerful, which is eventually people will work harder than you, the professional if they understand that there's something that they want to learn or there's something at stake, but the, the person who needs to change has to work the hardest in the situation. And I'm bringing that back around. It's coming full circle. Don't worry. Because as the, as the athlete begins to understand the value of this work, then they're going to be pushing for more of the mental performance or the parents can be pushing for more of the mental performance because they're going to say, Oh, something's not working for me anymore. And a coach needs to say, it's your, it's your head. Like it's your head. It's not your skills. And this is the professional to go see, to fix that, not that more practice, more, more reps, because that creates anxiety that creates burnout and burnout in my field turns to depression. So when people are burned out, that is synonymous to me for budding depression. So if your child is overly exercising, if they're overly committed, if they're over training, they're anxious. If they're burned out and avoidant and quitting, they're depressed. And that's a really clear kind of way to kind of delineate, but it doesn't have to get to that point. If someone says something's not working for you, right? Like I say that as a professional, but a coach can be like, mom, this isn't working. You're calling me too often. Your child is anxious. This is the professional to see. And so, you know, people like you are those solutions and I hope that we get to a place where we are now the norm in sports performance, just like an athletic trainer or a physical therapist, you know, athletic trainers, the weightlifting coaches haven't always been the expectation of a sports program. Yep. So I think we're next. I think our time at the table is soon. Well, and you know, it's interesting because, so when I left corporate and I was doing coaching, I did softball camps. I, I coached high school softball. It, it was a good program. We did, we worked with the youth leagues around and did softball camps. And one of the things that I noticed was everything was focused on skill specific, as opposed to kind of just building the overall athlete. So kind of take your son, for example, he's seven years old. He could have, he will 
could be an amazing athlete. But as he moves through his different growth stages, if he doesn't have control of his body, if he doesn't understand like the speed and agility piece of it, that it doesn't matter what sport he plays. So like soccer, that's a great sport because it does teach speed and agility, right? It, it focuses a lot on um, both quickness and speed. And I kind of look at the mental piece of it the same way is uh, if you're just looking at let's, let's fix this athlete for this performance, that is, that is fine, but it doesn't address the overwork, the, you know, the, the low level of anxiety that's, that an athlete goes through if they're always going from one practice to the next, to the next. And so if they don't teach themselves how to self-regulate, how to kind of control their nervous system, how to think a little differently, how to have a different mindset, then all the visualization in the world is just going to be another, another skill that they're learning. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, so mm -hmm. I, I think what you're saying is right on is you, you want to be part of a program that's not just, Hey, how do I fit this in? Because I've got an athlete that's struggling. It's more of, you know, how do I help my athletes just to deal with the pressures of, of being a student, being an athlete, all of those different things, mm -hmm. because that's what life is, right? It's, right. it's balancing those things and learning how to decompress. And we're all in a low, low level state of anxiety, right? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. There's two programs that I can give models or examples for, because I think if people are listening, they could contact me or they could contact the clubs and learn more. There's juniors volleyball club, which is a 600 person club in Wisconsin and Illinois with a lot of satellite programs. And then there's FC 1974, which is a local soccer program with six or 700 athletes. And we have a three month or six month contract with them where we are meeting with the parents and coaches and athletes on recorded webinars and monthly presenting a systematic protocol that we have called the growth and resiliency model. And it walks them through each step. And it's really exciting because it gives everyone the opportunities to see and hear a professional saying things that coaches are still are now starting to appreciate but there are programs out there that are contracting with people like us at Simply Be and making sure that this is a part of the system. And it's really powerful because it's not a one-off. I think that's really yep. important is that, yes, we appreciate the one-offs. And if you're going to make shifts, it has to be at a programmatic level. Um, and I would love to talk to anyone who's interested in it. My biggest tip and my biggest tip in learning experience is that there has to be one driver at the club that's the ambassador of the mental performance program that's internal, like a parent ambassador who's really driving the messages to get on, to watch, watch the recordings, things like that, because an outsider like me cannot motivate a system that's new. I have to have an ambassador. So that's a new thing that we've added because it was a game changer between successful launches and not. So yeah. that's, that's one thing that if anyone's listening is super powerful, important. And I think to your point, that's, that's the key. When we work with organizations, it's not just one and done. And a lot of times you have to go in to get them to understand. So you might start with that pilot or, or coming in and doing just a, an overview. And then you can start to see, like, we've done a lot of summer programs where they bring their kids in for the camp. And it's like, you start introducing, you know, a few, a couple of little things that they can do. So they see a shift, but really the, the strength is that it's got to be, it has to become a habit and it's got to be something that, that you do regularly, like any mm -hmm. other training. And I think that's the shift that, that we're seeing on the collegiate level a little bit more then you're seeing down at the the high school and even the middle school level. And that's, mm -hmm. I think that's, and the club level is, is a great place to start. Yeah. The club level is the pipeline to college. So I think the mindset stuff, like you said, it, because it is a collegiate thing, it's now come down to a club thing yeah. and high schools are, you know, from a budget standpoint, right. They're challenged with a budget issue that a club can fundraise or raise yeah. entry fees, but obviously high schools and middle schools have to have a different budget and yep. they have social emotional learning curriculum for the athlete or for 
not athletes for students for students. Um, so there's, yeah, so there's a lot of competing kind of interests all for the greater good, but I think it's really important to have this podcast and this platform. So people like you are exposed and have access to the people who get this because it's not really a pitch or a sell anymore, right? It's common sense that like what we're doing is necessary. So that's nice. We're not selling and pitching it anymore. Um, but now I think it's just sort of awareness of accessing people that are like-minded. So kind of my, you know, my closing question is, you know, you and I have been doing really kind of similar work for people who are listening, who are getting into this field of mental performance or counseling, what would be your advice to them? You know, I want us to really look at why you want to get into it, because I think that that authenticity is really important. So just understanding, you know, why you want to do it, and then to really do the research to understand what you want to bring to the table. So, you know, if, if it's, you've got an athlete's background and you want to go more the therapist route. So, you know, there's, there's more around being a a therapist and understanding that and dealing with that level of athletic performance. Um, If you want to do more of the holistic approach, then really look at that. Um, But do your research to understand where you feel most comfortable and where you feel that, that you can make an impact. Because I think it's, it's, you, you'd run into the same pushback in athletics that you do in anything else, right? Is, you know, how is this going to benefit me? How is this going to give me an immediate impact? And so I think you really have to understand that it's, it's a slow game, not a fast game. Right. So, so that would be, I think that's, that would be my advice Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, do the, get the educational background that you need. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean you need a degree. It means, you know, play with some programs, learn about the central nervous system, learn about um, breath work, learn about those things that, that are important piece of it, learn about positive psychology and how it can impact because that, that will help deal with not only how you approach it, but what you, what you hear back from the athletes. Mm -hmm. And stand your ground. I mean, that's what you said. I think the undertone of what you said is stand your ground that this is a long game, not a short game. And when there's an athletic director asking you for a magic pill, you have to tell them that it doesn't exist. And that that means you say no to opportunities because I've taken a few one-offs and our system's not set up for a one-off and it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And so now we turn down workshops that are a certain structure because they're not within our level of expectation or criteria. And the one-offs can be informational keynotes, informational. What is mental performance? What is self-awareness? What is positive psychology? Here's an example of it, but to actually try to make that change in a 45 minute session with 40 kids on a gymnastics team, it's just not, it's not going to work. You know, it's not going to stick. And my other piece of advice now that just popped in my head is (laughs) try, try, try to make it volunteer and not mandated because when you get a group of people who are volunteer and mandated, the mandated people who don't want to be there can wash over the people who do want to be there. And then you, you lose a lot more people. And there's, there's a lot of pressure to create this like magic pill, but we don't gain muscle overnight. We don't gain speed and agility overnight. We're not going to gain mental resiliency overnight. And so we all have to stand our ground and really make sure we come out the gate strong because athletic directors with good intentions want the biggest bang for their buck. And I get it. I get it. Completely get it. And we know, you know, organizational psych knows coaches know nothing changes overnight. No, no, no. And it's, it's interesting you say that because that's, it's, it's also how you deal with your athletes. Really. If you think about it is if you are always focused on that outlier that is giving you problems, then you are ignoring everything else. And it's the same with this type of work is, you know, it just takes a a small group of people to make a change. And, you know, I guess the other piece of advice now that we're talking is, is focus on the little piece of the world that you can change. 
Like sometimes, you know, it gets overwhelming because you're like, I see all this stuff and I want to make a difference and I want to do this and I want to do that. And if you can really just focus on your little piece of the world, it spreads. Um, if you have an opportunity to, to do it larger, do it. But sometimes it gets, it, it causes just like an athlete, you know, I want to be number one. Well, right now you're number 30, affect what you can affect. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in this type of work, every positive emotion and energy that, that changes does, you know, it's a ripple effect. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get caught up and I know for myself, I get caught up in like, I want to do more and I want to be bigger and I want all this. And, um, and then I have to remind myself, Hey, if I affect this, if I affect one athlete today, who isn't going to have that same self-doubt that I had for so many years, then isn't that why I'm doing it? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like your why is very authentic and my why, you know, is very authentic to my story. So I think it's powerful that if, and when you're finding these people who are going to help your organization or your team, you will feel if there's an authenticity to it. And everyone I've found really trying to help athletes recover after sports or through sports in any fashion, whether it be professionalism. There's a dating app site. There's suicide prevention for people who have just gone through a lot of trauma as an athlete. We all have great intentions. You know, the authenticity is so amazing to see because it's such a fresh field that hasn't really been, hasn't been mucked up by anyone or anything yet. So it's a good, it's a good place to be. I'm really proud of this group of people. Yeah. Well, and the work that you're doing is amazing. You know, I think your system's amazing and and the things that you're doing. So, and it does make a difference, you know, especially because you're, you know, as much as we try to work with the, like the whole athlete, you're working with the whole ecosystem. And I think that that's one of the things that, that I'm trying to work with coaches and athletic directors is it's an ecosystem, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone's how people behave affects everything. You know, when I sit mm-hmm. on my son's sideline and hear coaches and parents, you know, yelling at a 18 year old kid refereeing, it's like, that's not helping anyone. And that's mm-hmm. part of that ecosystem of what's, how are you building this athlete and what are you doing to them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. It's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just finished my son's little league championships and I'm just sitting there with a state winning basketball coach and her and I are sitting there and, you know, we're just having all of our little side conversations and emotions. And her and I were, you know, I was saying, I thought I wasn't going to be this parent. Why am I invested in little leagues? But she's like, if you have it, you have it. So anyways, yeah. Well, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And for people who are looking to find you, where should they go? They can go to my website, which is accesshumanpotential.com. Uh, they can also, I'm on, I think, Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. So under my name, Kelly Oberly, or under Access Human Potential. Thank you for being on here. And this is another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Thank you for listening to season three. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information, all things podcast, you can connect with us on Instagram at well, not perfect. See you next week.